This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed, your weekly hour of old-time radio crime, brought to you every Wednesday by RelicRadio.com. This week, we're going to begin with yours truly, Johnny Dollar. We'll hear the department store swindle matter, his episode from December 24th, 1949. After that, it's Nightbeat and five days off for Christmas, their episode from December 21st, 1951. It was a week before Christmas, and all through the house, a creature was stirring. And boy, what a rat. This is another in the adventures of America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar, starring Charles Russell. At insurance investigation, Johnny Dollar is only an expert. At making out his expense account, he's an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Industrial Insurers Incorporated, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, Mr. Eben Stevens, General Manager. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during investigation of small-time swindles of big-time department stores. Uh, Or how I played Santa Claus and almost got left holding the sack. Or going for a sleigh ride without benefit of snow can be tough sledding. Expense account, item one. One dollar. Tip to messenger who delivered this assignment writing by hand to my apartment. Thanks, Mr. Dollar. You have never been known as a fast man with a buck, Mr. Stevens, and I must say your note to me also marked you in my mind as an economist with words. Dear Dollar, our client, the Association of Department Stores of Greater Manhattan, has requested help on the following problem. A young man has been making the rounds of New York department stores during the current Christmas rush. Using his equipment and official-looking sales book, he goes to a business department, makes a quick sale on some large item, writes it up in his spurious sales book, takes the customer's cash, and disappears. Enclosed find varying descriptions as furnished by victims to date, and um, check for your usual retainer fee. Please put a stop to this nefarious practice at once. Signed, Eben Stevens, General Manager. Expense account, item two, $6.21. Train fare, Hartford to New York. Next morning at 7.03 on the Banker's Special. A train uh, very cleverly named that because 75% of its load is made up of bankers. I sat among them in a parlor car, watching them limbering up for the day's chores, slowly shaking their heads from side to side and softly whispering, No. We arrived at Grand Central at 9.20. The bankers got off and headed for their granite vaults. I got off and headed to face my stone wall. Expense account, item three. Four bits, cab fare to offices of the Association of Department Stores of Greater Manhattan. There, things got brighter right away. Her name was Judy Whitehall. Boy, how she's been missed by the scouts for the Copacabana, I'll never know. I have been assigned to help you all I can, Mr. Dollar. What would you like to know first? Your home phone number. (laughs) Oh, well... Maybe we'd better wait until later for that. Uh, how many stores are there in your association, Miss Whitehall? We have 120 member stores, Mr. Dollar. Great. You know, in one department store, I'm the kind of a guy that can't find the glove department. And now I've got 120 stores in which to find someone I don't even know. Well, we do have the man's description. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we have a lot of descriptions, all slightly different. And the regular store detectives are all on the lookout. Like looking for a noodle and a spaghetti sack. And all the sales personnel have been warned. Beautiful. What's beautiful? Your face. Well, really, Mr. Dollar. Hmm? After all. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, I know. Business. Well, before I start, maybe you'd better give me a letter of identification. If I spent all day moseying around department stores without buying anything, I can stand a good chance of getting picked up as a shoplifter. Right away. Follow me. All right. Oh, just a minute. Hello, this is Miss Whitehall. Oh, yes, Mr. Sandler. Oh, my, that's terrible. My goodness, that's awful. Good gracious, that, that's worse. Well, well, the insurance investigator is here right now, Mr. Sandler. We'll, we'll be right over. 
What oh. showed terrible? Well, that man, the one we're looking for, he was in the Miller store making a phony sale in the camera department. Oh, you also said it was awful. It was. Uh, a little girl picked up a camera and snapped his picture, and the man tried to take it away from her, and the girl yelled, and then her mother screamed. And what made it worse? Well, a store detective came running, and the man shot him. Then he grabbed the little girl's camera and all, and it ran off. They called the police. Really? I can't imagine why. <laughs> The mob scene in the Miller store would have made the Notre Dame backfield hotter uncle. Christmas neckties were selling like hotcakes. Only compared to most of the ties, a hotcake would look better on you. The camera department was on the mezzanine. And the store manager, Mr. Sander, was on a rampage. Why doesn't somebody do something? Why can't they find him? I've got men posted on every door. He's in this store somewhere and... Oh, Miss Whitehall, it's about time. Who's this? Oh, this is Mr. Dollar, Mr. Sandler, from the insurance company. Well, I don't know what you can do, Dollar. I've already got 20 policemen running all over the store. It's absolutely ridiculous, preposterous, and fantastic. That's what it is. Also amazing. Now, tell me, Mr. Sandler, about that little girl who picked up the camera and snapped the culprit's picture. Did they find her yet? They certainly did, in the rug department. She'd been shoved in the middle of a pile of 9 by 12 Orientals on sale at 123.50. She was scared, but not hurt. And the girl was found without the camera, I suppose. Naturally, but the camera wouldn't do us any good. After all, I'm sure the camera didn't have any film in it. They never do when they're on display. Well, how about the store detective, the one who got shot? In the hospital, Miss Hall. They'll call me here as soon as they find out how badly he's been hurt. Well, look, getting back to that kid... Was she able to give you a good description of the guy who grabbed her? She hasn't stopped crying long enough. Well, how about her mother? Neither is she. Well, where are they now? They're in my office. That's why I'm staying right here. Where is your office? On the eighth floor, right next to the credit office. Well, this may be the first time I ever got past the credit office. Come on, Judy. <laughs> Come on, blow your nose. There. Now, be a brave little girl. I don't want to. He hit me. He tried to kill me. He took away my camera. Uh, uh, Let me have another try, Mrs. Jenkins. All right, Mr. Dollar, if you think it'll do any good. All right. Oh, come on now, Bobby. All you have to do is tell us what that bad man looks like. We'll get him, and then we'll fix him. Come on now, huh? I don't wanna. He'll kill me. I'm beginning to think he's got a point. Okay, Bobby. Okay, okay. Just a minute now. Oh, Judy. Here. Yes, Johnny. Looks like it's a child psychologist. I'm nothing. At this point, I feel like telling little Bobby to go out and play with some old razor blades. Got any suggestions? Well, it is almost Christmas. Yeah. And one thing little girls don't want to do at Christmas is get in wrong with Santa Claus. Ah, gotcha. Good gal. Mm. Where do we find Santa Claus? In the toy department on, on the fifth floor. Well, give me about five minutes to explain things to Santa and then bring Bobby down. Right. Oh, Bobby. <laughs> what? Do you know what happens to little girls who make Santa Claus mad at them? Yes. What happens? They don't get to look at television before they go to bed. I mean, at Christmas, what happens? They don't get any toys. All they get is old sweaters and underwear. Well, listen, Bobby. This guy Santa happens to be a good friend of mine. What do you think of that? Tell him I want an air rifle. You would. Okay, okay. I'll even fix it so you can tell him yourself. How's that? Just fine. Ah, good girl. Hey, where'd you get that blood on your coat? You got a cut? No, sir. That's from that bad man. I bit him on the hand. <laughs> hmm. Okay, Judy, here I go. Oh, and uh, on the way down, maybe you better stop by the dog supply department and buy little Bobby a muzzle. If the kid doesn't like his looks, old St. Nick may get nicked. Department stores should have some kind of a congressional medal for salespeople who work in the toy department just before Christmas. I took the elevator down to five, and when that door slid open... <laughs> It's like stepping into Dottie's Inferno, junior grade. First, I got on a house phone and called Santa, who was still in the camera department. He'd had word from the hospital. The store detective had died without regaining consciousness. 
I was no longer trying to catch a cheap swindler. I was now out to swap blood with a dirty murderer. A line of fidgety kids led me to Santa Claus, sitting benignly on his throne. I had a short talk with him and a short wait for Judy and little Bobby. Okay, Santa. Now, we've got to make her talk. That is, you've got to. All right, Dollar. All right now, kiddies. You'll have to wait for a moment. We have a special little visitor coming to see me. Hello, Johnny. All set? Yeah, all set. Okay, Bobby, my girl. Now, just let me give you a hoist up into Santa's lap. He wants to ask you a few questions. I want an air rifle. Now, you'll be a good little girl and answer all Santa's nice questions, and you'll get it. But not where I'd like to give it to you. Up you go. There we are, honey. Now, tell me, what do you want for Christmas? I want an air rifle. Well, we'll see what we can do about that. Tell me, have you been a good little girl? Yes, sir. Hmm. Well, first we'll just have to look up your name in my little black book and make sure. Hmm, pretty good. All but one little thing. What I do? I didn't do nothing. Well, that's just it. You you see, Bobby, I have a note here that today some people asked you what a certain man looked like and you wouldn't tell them. Is that right? I'm afraid. I don't want to tell. They can't make me. Mm-hmm. Well, Bobby, maybe you and I had better talk this over. If you won't do something for us, how do you expect it? Little Bobby's description of the murderer wasn't the greatest by any means, but it was better than none at all, with which we had been furnished by the personnel in the camera department and the kid's mother. We took the girl to the advertising department where an artist made a sketch. Armed with a drawing, we made a tour of the store exits, showing it to the police posted on every door, giving them a rough idea what to look for. A medium-billed, pudgy man with black hair. And when they came across such a character, he was to be issued an invitation to show his hands. If he was sporting Bobby's teeth marks, then they'd really know. Well, this chore out of the way, Miss Whitehall and I sank our teeth in a pair of sandwiches in the tea room. The shopper's delight sandwich, to be exact. Cream cheese, walnuts, watercress, and pineapple on whole wheat bread. Mmm. We found the store manager, Sandler, back in his office. He, too, was eating, but he was on a diet of straight fingernails. Oh, terrible, terrible, terrible. That's what it is. Now, don't worry, Mr. Sandler. He'll be caught. As a swindler, he might have gone on for years. But as a murderer, it won't be long, believe me. Oh, what to do, what to do, what to do. Well, I've got several ideas. And the first is to get out of your office and start at the top of the store and work my way down. They're already doing that. Another sign of him. Well, I once found a mouse in a hayloft, so be not disencouraged. And a pretty little mouse she was. Oh, dear. Oh, please, try to relax, Mr. Sandler. Everybody's doing your best. Yes, I'm sure they are. It's just that I... Oh. Hello? Yes, it's Mr. Sandler. Oh, no. Where? How long has he been there? Hello? I'll be right down. What's the matter now? About an hour and a half ago, our store Santa Claus stepped out into the employee's restroom for a smoke. He was slugged from behind. When he came to, he was all tied up in a broom closet, and somebody has stolen his Santa Claus suit. They just found him. About an hour and a half ago. Judy, you know what that means? Oh, no. Oh, yes. Forty-five minutes ago, when little Bobby was giving Santa Claus the murderer's description, he was giving it to the murderer himself. Oh, good gracious. Instead of a kid's air rifle, it could have gotten us a revolver, size 38. In just a moment, we will return to the second act of Johnny Dollar, but first... CBS is going to bring you one of the biggest presents you ever received from show business tomorrow afternoon, Christmas Day. For a full hour on the entire CBS network, you're going to get all the comedy, all the laughs, and one of the greatest Broadway and Hollywood hits of recent years, The Man Who Came to Dinner. And The Man Who Came will be played by none other than Jack Benny, plus Charles Boyer, Gene Kelly, Dorothy McGuire, Gregory Peck, and Rosalind Russell, plus Henry Fonda and John Garfield as narrators. You'll hear them all on CBS's special holiday hour tomorrow afternoon. 
Jack Penny, playing the man who came to dinner and breaking a leg, had to stay on and on and on. Now with our star, Charles Russell, we return to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. There's no place like a crowded department store for a fresh-made murderer to be on the loose. Especially one that's playing Santa Claus for a lot of rosy-cheeked little nippers. I headed back to the toy department. But when I got there, the cupboard was bare. Our lethal St. Nick had decided to give up his red flannel and white whisker hiding place. We found the empty suit in a storeroom, tossed high on a stack of baby buggies. Oh, Johnny, this is terrible. That man's a murderer. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? Now, listen, Judy. By now, there must be 87 cops sifting through this store looking for that guy. They've got two cops on every door. Now, all I'm going to do is help them look. This is one of those everybody's problems. You're right. I guess I'm just getting excited. Well, if that's you have a right to do. Come on, let's get out of here. I've got an idea. All right, Johnny. I, oh, Mr. Dollars, thank goodness I found you. Mr. Sandler wants you right away down on three. An old lady has just been shot in junior Mrs. Lingerie. Serves her right for not acting her age. Let's go, Judy. Right over here, Dollar. All right. Let him through, please. Let him... Lady, please stand back now. Well, Dollar, congratulations. Before, this store was only going to sue that company of yours for one million dollars. Considering what this shooting will do to our reputation, I'm going to make that five million. Now, Mr. Sandler, keep your powder dry. First of all, it's not my company. And second, you can't sue them for something they didn't do. And third, you'd better get this poor old gal to a hospital. How badly is she hurt? And how did it happen? The doctor's on his way, and we've sent for an ambulance. This woman was lost out on the back stairway looking for the ladies' room. That maniac saw her coming toward him and ran down the stairs, firing over his shoulder. The bullet just seems to have grazed her left side. Uh, pretty lucky. Where are the police? They're searching all over the store. Dollar, what are we going to do? This is terrible for business. Well, I suspect that any minute now, the cops will be telling you to do something that's going to be even worse for business. Close the store. Well, but close the store? Why, we're staying open late tonight. It's the last minute rush. I'm just telling you what I think. I think the cops will double the lookouts on all the doors and make you close the store. Then they can go to work. We lose thousands of dollars. They can't make me close the store. If you stay open, you might lose a few more customers. The hard way. Where's that doctor? He'll be here any minute. Oh, Mr. Sam. Yes, what is it? Well, they called up from the sporting goods in the basement. That man has been down there and held them up. And he took four guns and six boxes of ammunition. Six boxes of... Oh, my. Oh, what's this going to do to our store? If you're not careful, it's going to turn your store into the world's largest shooting gallery with live targets. You know what I suggest, Mr. Sandler? Uh, what? What? Tell me what. Don't wait for the police to tell you. Close the store. Sandler didn't like it, and neither did the customers. As they filed out of the store, past the scrutiny of the police officers, still clutching their unfinished Christmas shopping list. The process was slow, and while the customers were leaving, the clerks finished up their business, put the white shrouds over their counters, and they too filed out into the early night. The boys in blue, watching the doors, came up with several men answering the general description of our friend with a loose trigger finger, but none of them had little Bobby's teeth marks on his hands. That made it a 50-50 chance that Mr. Killer was still in the building. nothing more eerie than a department store after closing. And it's white sheets. The whole joint seemed to be playing ghost. I sent Judy over to a steakhouse, Pietre's, on 3rd Avenue. Told her to wait. And I had Sandler get me a gun from the sporting goods department. For that lonely, scared feeling, there's no medicine that quite takes the place of a piece of cool steel in your little hot hand. <laughs> sergeant, in charge of the police detail, posted men outside all exits. The rest, he took up to the roof with them. They were going to run the whole store through their burly blue sieve, floor by floor, counter by counter, inch by inch. Sandler stayed with me, down the first floor. Just for fun, I thought I would start working my way up. 
Mr. Donahue, don't you think we should get out of here and leave this to the police? Well, I have several goosebumps that agree with you, Mr. Sandler, but uh, I have a very dangerous habit of trying to earn my money. Oh, this is terrible. Now, look, every counter and post in this store is just the kind of hiding place a sniper would pray for. I get paid for this kind of work. You don't. Now, why don't you go out for a nice safe walk? It's my duty to stay here. I'm sticking with you. Okay. But remember, two of us gave him twice as much to shoot at. No, it I had to go and open my big mouth. Get down. Getting down on that floor could have been committing suicide in itself. The killer's bullet had crashed into a showcase. A sea of broken glass is a risky place to practice diving. Having to swim out of it was twice as bad, but that's what I had to do. Oh, Mr. Dollar. Now, Sandler, keep your head down. Bury your face in that glass, but keep your head down. Yes, Dollar. Tell me what to do, anything but get me out of here. I have a wife and three kids. Well, if you'll do what I tell you to do, your wife will go on having a husband and your kids will still have a father. Yes, yes, just, just tell me. I don't know exactly where that shot came from, but from the looks of this glass, it must have been from behind us. Now, I'm going to leave you and crawl over near those elevators. While I'm on my way, you rattle around in this glass. Let them hear where you are. Give me about two minutes, and then do something to draw us fire. What can I do? Do anything but one thing. Don't stand up. I'll think of something. You'd better. But don't take any chances. No, no. I'll... What are you going to do? Take some chances. Once I was on my way, Sandler went to work with a vengeance. I could hear him thrashing around in that glass like he was trying to corner the Band-Aid market. I made it over to the elevators, scooting flat along the floor till I hit a car with an open door and slithered inside. Behind the protection of the elevator's front wall, I stood up, peered over at the edge of the door, and waited for Santa to make the move that would draw the murderer's fire. I must say Santa was dead game. The way he made his move, he also stood a good chance of becoming plain dead. First, he stopped wiggling around on his bed of glass, and then he just stood straight up. The shot missed, but my eyesight didn't. The killer was shooting from high up, behind a pole. He was standing up on a glass showcase, hoping for a better view. And it didn't take me long to decide to give him a better view of the inside of that glass showcase. I started deliberately shooting his foothold out from under him. He was bleeding beautifully when I started to run, straight for the back of the store, firing as he ran. As one last souvenir, he threw his empty gun over his shoulder at me. People who live in glass houses shouldn't throw guns. I decided to join the track team and won on the chase. Back out of the main floor, through the employee's entrance, out to the dimly lit shipping department, and its loading dock filled with packages ready for shipment. I could hear him moving around among them. Okay, get your hands up and come out. I'm giving you a chance, but it's not going to last long. Get moving. I don't need your chance. I've got something better. Okay, so you want to play. I think I'll give you a couple of Yuletide presents early, and I'm sure nobody will mind if I open your head before Christmas. My hot-headed friend was hiding behind a high pile of wooden boxes ready for shipping. I grabbed a heavy, empty dolly, gave it a flying start, sent it crashing into the bottom box of the pile. Beautiful. The biggest crash since 29. It was a tough fight, but Mom, I don't think I won. At best, it was a draw. About the 15th time I belted him, he belted me right back. Then he got his hands on a hammer, laid it across the side of my head. I got the hammer, did the same for him, and made a hole in one. He fell squarely into a man-sized packing case lying at the foot of the packing bench. I was getting weak, dizzy. I had to hold him. One thing to do, top a case lying right there. Already nailed part way in. Put it on, right right over him. Nail it on. Good tight. Good tight. Good tight. 
everything went white. Hey, corny as this may sound, where am I? You're in the hospital, Johnny, darling. Hmm? But don't worry. It's only a slight concussion. They brought you here last night. Oh, I suppose I have a hammer-shaped hole in my head. No, no, darling. It hardly shows. Uh, oh, how could it? These bandages covering it up. Well, at least I got him. Hmm? You what, dear? I got him. The killer. Oh, no, dear. You couldn't have. They're still looking for him. Well, oh, no. Oh, my gosh. What time is it? It's in the morning. I gotta get out of here. Why? Johnny, Johnny, please. Johnny, you're not supposed to get up. Oh, nurse, nurse. If they let him get away after all my trouble, somebody was going to need a doctor. Judy and I hit the department store on 12 minutes flat. One minute later, I was in the shipping department talking to the head man. Now, now, Mr. Dollar, just calm down. Everything's going to be all right. (laughs) Now, exactly what is it you want to know? That big packing case, the one that was lying right here in front of the bench last night, where is it? Oh, uh, the great big one? Yes, the great big one. The one about eight feet long and three feet wide? Yes, the one about eight feet long and three feet wide. Well, there was something very peculiar about that case. You're telling me. Where is it? Well, this morning we came to work. The boys saw it all packed up, so they put it on the truck for upper New York State. Oh, no. Oh, indeed they did. But what was peculiar about it, even though they found it all ready to go, later on, they found all the merchandise that was supposed to go in it lying around loose. It had never really been packed. Well, then quick. The least you can do is tell me where it went. Well, now that I can do. That box was the boss's big annual charity shipment of goods. That particular box is on its way to some of the unfortunates who will be spending this Christmas away from home. All right, so where is it? By now, it should be at the New York State Prison, up in Arsening. Expense account, item five, $12.80. Dinner check at Pietro's, where I had asked Miss Judy Whitehall to wait for me the night before, and where I inadvertently stood her up. Although, how a gal can stand up after eating $12.80 worth of food? More than I can figure out. Um, let's see. Uh, expense account item six, $10. Medical supplies for those poor CBS sound men, Vern Surrey and Billy Gould, who had to break all that glass during the show. Expense account total, uh, $511.50. You may think this amount is a little high, but... Uh, isn't everybody at this time of the year? Uh, signed, yours, mm, truly, Johnny Dollar. Stars Charles Russell. Script by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd. Featured in the cast were Jay Novello, Georgia Ellis, Marlene Ames, Parley Bear, Paul Duboff, and Connie Crowder. Special music is written and conducted by Leif Stevens. Your announcer is Bob Stevenson. Be sure to be with us at the same time next week when another unusual expense account is handed in by yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Those two pleasant gentlemen of music... Juan Monroe and Gene Autry will be around with special Christmas music tonight on CBS. On his caravan, Vaughn will feature a medley of Christmas carols. And you'll hear the maestro and his band featuring Vaughn's new song success, The Jolly Old Man in the Bright Red Suit. Gene Autry will bring you Christmas music and the Christmas Eve story, Western style. Be sure to hear these two Saturday night CBS stars Vaughn Monroe and Gene Autry on most of these same CBS stations. 
Now stay tuned for Vaughn Monroe's Caravan, which follows on most of the same things. This is CBS, where yours truly, Johnny Dollar, meets adventure every Saturday night. The Columbia Broadcasting System. Now screen actor Frank Lovejoy comes to the NBC microphone as reporter Randy Stone on Nightbeat. But first, let me tell you about some of our other mystery features heard on this station of the NBC radio network. This Sunday, the Falcon brings you mystery, adventure, and intrigue as he investigates the case of the helping hand. Later Sunday, make a date to hear Lloyd Nolan as he brings you thrill-packed listening as Martin Kane, Private Eye. And every Monday evening, you're invited to tune to this NBC station for Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy. Now there's Adventure with Frank Lovejoy, starring on Night Beat. On NBC. NBC presents transcribed Frank Lovejoy in Night Beat. Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Christmas Eve. Jingle bells, silent night, boughs of holly. Yeah, they say there's a warmth about Christmas that spreads out like a fan and touches everyone. The holiday spirit, it's called. But right at the moment, I'm thinking of one character who was nearly left out in the cold last Christmas. None other than yours truly. Me, myself, Randy Stone. It started out like any other Christmas Eve. An exchange of gifts, a few drinks, some off-key caroling. Everybody killing time until the going-home nod from the boss. Everybody, that is, but me. No, I wasn't going home, because as far back as I can remember, Christmas has been another workday for Stone. I waited around for the noisy holiday gang to leave so I could settle down to work. And then Sam Bullock, the big boss, sent for me, and I walked across to his office. Oh, come in, Randy, come in. How are you, boss? Sit down, Randy. Oh, such politeness can mean only one thing. I'm fired. <laughs> now, this is even more embarrassing, Randy. I'm uh, going to give you a little something in the way of a present. Ah, I'll come back when you're sober. <laughs> When's the last time you had Christmas off, my boy? I can't remember why. Well, you're having this one off. Five days of it to spend with your family. Well, what family? Boss, you know better than that. What'll I do with myself? Well, a man who knows as many people as you do, it'll be the best thing in the world for you. Hey, yeah. Yeah, it might really be something. Say, I could call Alex Stevens. He's been bothering me for eight years to spend Christmas with his family. Sure. Or maybe Alice over in Classified. <laughs> you know, I'm beginning to like the idea. <laughs> okay, well, you'd better beat it before this noble impulse of mine evaporates. Well, you hang on to it. I'm leaving now. <laughs> and, uh, Randy... Yeah? Uh... Merry Christmas to you. Right back at you, Chief, and thanks for the break. The revelers had gone now, and the office was empty except for one man. Old Ed Collins sat watching the teletype machines. He looked up when he saw me. Thought you'd gone, Randy. Nope. What are you looking so smug about? Our boss gave me five days off. Swell. What are you going to do, go home? Home is a bachelor apartment on 7th Avenue. No, Collins, I'm going to call my old pal Alex Stevens in Decatur and tell him to meet the morning train. Good idea. Long distance? I want to call Decatur, the Stevens residence. Alex Stevens in Decatur. I'll wait. Mm -hmm. Ah, phone's ringing all right. Good, good. (laughs) This little floor, Alec. Eight years he's been after me. Must have an old maid sister-in-law or something. Careful, Randy. Tried to marry me off once when I was younger. <laughs> Should have answered by now. Oh, what's that, operator? Oh, no, no. No use ringing anymore. He must have gone out of town for the holidays. Gone out of town, eh? Yeah, yeah. I guess I'll have to settle for female company. Uh, 
Hmm. Not home either? Well, that was a screwy idea. I don't know why I went for it. Phoning people the last minute like this? Guy, with the friends you have... You're... Oh, sure, sure, sure. The friends I have, millions of them, till I go looking for one. Oh, there's a Christmas card for you on my desk. Keep forgetting to give it to you. I'll get it later. Hey, my folks only live 40 miles out. Boy, would they be glad to have you spend a few days with them. I could call them. No, and... Ed, forget it. What's a guy like me want with a holiday on Christmas? I'm shoving off, Ed. How about that envelope on my desk? Later. Looks like I might be back to play a little pinochle with you. Now, my ma, all I've got to do is phone No, I'll make out all right. See you later. And have yourself a time. Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Merry Christmas. I didn't want to make any more calls in front of Collins, so I headed for the nearest phone booth. Well, I made another three, four calls. No dice. Randy Stone, a guy who couldn't walk a downtown block without saying hello to half a dozen people... Couldn't find one lousy bum would be his friend tonight, Christmas Eve. I went back to the office hoping some big story had broken so that I could put myself to work. Nothing come in, Ed? Not a thing. Even the thugs are home tonight. Anybody phone me? No. Uh, here's that letter I was telling you about. Oh, thank you. What's that, money? It's a 50-cent piece. <laughs> what do you want, your autograph? It just says... God bless you, Mr. Stone, signed Catherine Malloy. I don't know any Catherine Malloy. Hey, this is all the earmarks of an office gag and a pretty poor one at that. It's half a buck. Yeah, it'll buy a drink. Say, Randy. Yeah? I, I thought maybe you'd change your mind about going out to my folks' place. No, thank you, Ed. No, no, thank you. My ma, she... No, I said no. Uh, Ed, no, no, thank you. <laughs> Outside, it was snowing, light and fluffy, like it had been specially ordered for the occasion. And the people went about their business humming and singing little snatches of song. You know, oh, what fun it is to ride in the one-horse open sleigh. Yeah, there was warmth and good feeling everywhere. But my mood was more than a match for it, and I was beginning to feel sorry for myself. Like an unwanted cat, I took my mood out to get it drowned at Bobby's Bar. How are you, boy? How are you? Wow. What's with this place? It's like a morgue. <laughs> Haven't you heard? It's Christmas. Yeah, I've heard. Will you put a dime in that thing get something snappy? Okay. There we are. Hey. You lonely, Randy? Give me a whiskey sour, hmm? Yeah. That's the way it is with me, too. I don't need nobody. Nobody needs me. It's all right, I guess, only two or three times a year you wish it was different. You know what it hits me? Christmas, Easter, May 17th. That's the date my mother died. But Christmas and Easter was a big time in our house. You know, we had 11 kids. Look, why don't you write a book? You act like this was something new to you. To me, it's like this every Christmas. You know, the important thing is don't be alone. How much do I owe you? 50 cents. Here. You know, when you try and fight it, you got to lose. Uh... Randy, are you going into a new business? What do you mean? Well, I thought maybe you might have gone into manufacturing. Manufacturing what? Coins. But, brother, if you are, you've got a lot to learn. This is about the phoniest half a buck I ever saw. Phony? Yeah. Give it to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. That was somebody's idea of a gag. Some half-wit in the office. Ain't much of a joke, I'll tell you. Mrs. Malloy, huh? I'll fix those guys. You gone? Yeah. Hey, well, what's your hurry? You ain't gonna leave me here alone, are you? Wait till somebody else comes in. So long, Bob. Well, you ought to stick around so we can talk, Randy. You're wasting it on me. Okay, Randy, but remember what I said. Don't be by yourself. Whatever you do, don't get to be alone. I stopped at the corner drugstore and bought a couple of magazines and went to my apartment ready to spend a quiet holiday. Seven o'clock. Great. Nice long evening ahead of me. Lots of time to hate the world and feel sorry for myself. I poured myself a quick drink, and then somebody rang my doorbell. Yeah, just a minute. Hi. A ten, eleven-year-old kid stood in the doorway looking up at me. His face was clean, but his clothes were patched and ragged. He wore a red pullover sweater at least five sizes too big for his skinny frame. Hello, Mr. Stone. Wow, what do you want? Don't you remember me? I remember 10,000 on you. 
What do you want, a handout? I'm Jerry Malloy. Remember Mrs. Malloy? Who sent you up here? Whose idea was it? McFarland's, the office-wise guy? My... my mother sent Well, you go back and tell your mother not to send phony coins through the mails. And if your mother happens to be McFarland, tell him that... She said for me to give you this letter. I'm to wait for your answer. Look, kid, take your letter and beat it. Enough is enough. She said maybe... Will you take the letter? Now, come on, what are you waiting for? I'll leave it with you. No. Here, here's two bits for you. Now, go tell McFarland the joke is over. Now, beat it before I get mad. Mother said to wish you a Merry Christmas. Beat it. I no sooner slammed the door shut when I began feeling like a heel. And I opened the door half hoping I'd find him standing there. But he was gone. But resting on the mat in front of my door was the quarter I'd given him. I picked it up and I stood there with the coin burning my fingers. I knew I wouldn't feel quite clean again until I'd found that kid and made it right with him. Somehow. I had to get to the kid, but how? The logical starting point seemed to be the newspaper office. I put my coat on. I was about to leave when a sharp knock sounded on my door. I opened the door and a policeman came in. Mr. Stone? Oh, yeah. Come in. Thanks. I'm uh, Lieutenant Saunders. Know anything about this? Well, this envelope's addressed to me. Where did you get it? Do you recognize it? A kid came in here about 15 minutes ago and wanted to give it to me. You sure this is the same letter? Well, the writing's the same as another letter I got at the office. Why? What happened? Um, the boy who brought you this letter. What's his name? I don't know. He said it was Malloy, but I don't think it is. Give me a description. Oh, he's, uh, oh, 10, 11 years old. Oh, 95 pounds. Light brown hair. Wearing a faded red sweater, patched trousers. What's this all about? Hit by a car. Driver picked him up and took him away. Hit? How bad? Nobody knows. Woman who saw it from a window thinks the kid was dead. The car got away? Yeah. She didn't see the license number. When we got there, we found this letter on the street. And the, the, uh, the kid may be dead? Yeah, it looks like it. Said his name was Malloy, huh? Yeah, that's what he said. Can I see that letter? Maybe there's something in it. Sure. What's it say? It's kind of hard to read. Hmm. Looks like some kid wrote it. Um, dear Mr. Stone, we're hoping that you'll come out to have Christmas dinner with us. I told Jerry not to leave till he brings back your answer saying yes. It's signed Mrs. Catherine Malloy. I don't know a Catherine Malloy. Well, maybe they mistook you for somebody else. I thought it was part of an office gang, and I still think so. Let me go back there and check. I'll call you later. Uh, where do you work, Mr. Stone? Chicago Star. Oh, you're that, Randy Stone. Well, look, if you get any information, phone it into the precinct. Uh, hi, Randy. What's the matter with you? Look like you've been run over by a streetcar. Well, that's how I feel. Collins, you got to help me. Well, if I can, sure. What is it? Now, first of all, tell me. Did anybody in the office plant a phony coin in an envelope and send it to me in a Christmas card? Not that I knew of. Who'd pull a crazy stunt like that? I don't know. I got to find out about that kid. What kid? Well, he came to my apartment with a message, and on his way home, he was hit by a car. Bad? A driver picked him up and took him away, and the cops think that he was dead. And you don't know the kid? No. He said his name was Jerry Malloy. He, he said it like it should have meant something to me. But it doesn't. I've never seen him before. Well, maybe it's someone you've forgotten. A guy meets a lot of people in this business. Yeah, there could be. I want you to do something for me, Ed. What? Check with as many of the boys you can reach at home. Find out if they know anything about the kid, and then phone the police and see if they've found him. If you want me, I'll be in the library. What are you going to do there? Well, something that makes me shudder, but I'm going to do it anyway. What's that? I'm going to dig back through all my stories for the past year and see if I can find a Mrs. Malloy. Maybe you didn't use her name. Well, I'll see what I can find. You get busy on that phone. <laughs> Collins left me alone and I went to work. It's funny how inane some of the stuff you write seems after it's been buried. Only three of the bits offered any idea of who Mrs. Malloy might be. One, about a woman who'd refused to leave a cat in a burning house. 
another about a middle-aged lady bookie, and the last about a woman and her family who were being evicted from a slum apartment for lack of rent money. The story was about the bystanders and how they dug into their pockets and raised 40 bucks so the woman could get back into her place. How are you doing? Well, I'm not sure, but I think I've got something. Well, I called the boys. They don't know anything about the kid or the letter. You phoned the police? Yeah. Well? They want you down to headquarters. Me? What for? To identify the kid. They think they found him. Dead? Not much chance to live. Where is he? State hospital. It's a pleasant chore for Christmas Eve, isn't it? Dandy. Well, then I guess they want me to go and see his mother and say, uh, guess what I brought you for Christmas? Oh, snap out of it, Randy. It wasn't your fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I phoned headquarters and they sent a radio car to get me. From there, we went to state hospital. Lieutenant Saunders was there waiting for me. A nurse led us down a long hallway. Severe concussions and possible internal injuries, the doc said. Doesn't think he'll live. In here. This is the boy. Go on, Stone, take a look. All right, all right. Well, is that him? No. No, that isn't Jerry Malloy. For a minute, I felt a sense of relief, but I knew I was kidding myself. Sooner or later, Jerry's body would be found, and until then and after then, I'd feel the guilt to be mine. You see, by now I knew the kid was on the level. He'd been sent to me with a message offering me a home for Christmas, and in my blind stupidity, I sent him away. Nice guy, this Randy Stone. The cops dropped me off at the paper and told me they'd keep in touch. Well? No, it's not him. What are you going to do? I'm going to find Mrs. Malloy. That 50-cent coin, that's what makes it interesting. Why money in a Christmas card and a phony coin at that? Well, maybe she didn't know it was phony. All right, then. She didn't know it was phony, but why was she sending you money? You lending the stuff out at 15%? What? Hey, wait a minute. You got something there. Maybe she did owe me some money. That woman that was tossed out on the street, 40 bucks we raised for her, she took my name and said she'd send me my five bucks back. Well, can you remember where she lived? It was on the south side. I remember the building. Yeah, I can find her. Collins, I, I can find that kid's poor mother. Well, isn't that what you wanted? I don't know. You know what I really want? I'd like to start this whole evening over again. Think you could arrange it for me? I suppose I could have let the police handle it, but I developed a burning need to tell her myself. I hopped into a cab and went scouting for the building she'd lived in. I hoped I wouldn't find it, and yet I knew I wouldn't stop until I did. I found it all right, right where it had always been, pressed between the ugliness of two warehouses. I hung around outside for ten minutes before I could find the courage to go and face it. Apartment six she'd lived in. I stood in front of it and listened to the muffled sounds of a radio playing dance music inside. Well, hello, hello, hello. May I come in? I've got to talk to you. Oh, I'd like very much to have you come in, but my husband, he's a bouncer in the nightclub. Maybe some other time, huh? Look, Mrs. Malloy, I I've got to talk to you. What about Christmas Eve? Go away. Hey, what Mrs. did you say I was? Malloy, Catherine Malloy. Ah, uh. I'm not Mrs. Malloy. I never was, never will be. My name's Mrs. Natty. Carol Natty. You know, the more I look at you, the more I wish I was your Mrs. Malloy. But I'm not. I'm really not. How do you like that? Well, I like it a lot more than you'll ever know. You know where I can find her? She lived in this apartment oh, four or five months ago. Never heard of her. Uh, maybe if you ask the caretaker, he'll know. Thank you. Thank you. I'll do that. This woman wasn't Jerry's mother. I'd build a picture of Mrs. Malloy that didn't jive with a slightly tipsy frump staring at me out of hazy eyes. I called him a caretaker. Yes, Mrs. Malloy lived here, but she'd moved a couple of months ago and he didn't know where to. He told me to try Kozlov's grocery store. The storekeeper there was a living city directory. Mr. Kozlov? 
None other. What, what can I do for you? I'm looking for a Mrs. Malloy who used to live in the Elkin Apartments. I was wondering if you know where she'd moved to. Malloy? Uh-huh. Oh, yes, I remember her. But, but I don't know where she moved to. A good woman. Didn't owe me a penny when she left. I've got to find her. She was working steady when she moved. Wages every week makes difference. Uh, you, uh, you think some of her neighbors had know where she moved to? Oh, they, they do a big turnover in some of those places. But with wages coming in regular, I think I know how you can find her. How? It's a pattern people follow. When things can't be worse, uh, then they live in places like the Elkin Apartments. But when they're working and a little money is coming in, they move up a notch. That's the way it works. Where is this notch, this step up? Uh, it's a gamble. Uh, but if I was you, I'd try Blake Avenue, uh, somewhere around 20th. That's the way it goes, from Elkin to Blake. Sometimes back to Elkin. Uh, sometimes not. Sometimes three hours can be an eternity. It was ten o'clock now, three hours since the kid had knocked on my door. The streets were full of happy, smiling people, and the snow made everything look like a Christmas display window in one of the big stores. I'd have given ten years' salary to be like the people rushing into the stores for the last-minute presents for Aunt Agatha. I went into the stores all right, but to ask them if they knew where I could find a dead kid's mother. Took me about fifteen calls to locate her. A druggist gave me her address. 1461 Burkell Street, apartment 9. Before going there, I called the office. Hello? Oh, Ed. Anybody phone? Nope. I guess I haven't found him yet. Well, how about the mother, Mrs. Malloy? You think she'd have called the police by now? Yeah, you'd think so. Well, maybe she didn't phone because she thought the kid was in good hands. Well, it wasn't your fault, Randy. Well, I've located her. And uh, now comes the pleasant part of the job, telling her about it. Uh, how will I start? Uh, Merry Christmas, Mrs. Malloy, and a Happy New Year. May the New Year bring oh, you... Oh, why are you going off the deep end like this, Randy? Yeah, I know, I know. It wasn't my fault. I was just an innocent bystander. So long. I made another call, police headquarters. They had nothing new on it. The kid had turned up, they said. He'd be pretty dead, but he'd turn up. I told them I was going to see the kid's mother, that I'd located her. Lieutenant Saunders thought that that would be a swell idea. I walked down the street to Mrs. Malloy's apartment house, and I stood there a minute. From where I was standing, I could see the sign on top of the Chicago Star building. Mrs. Malloy lived only three blocks from my smug little tower. From Star to empty apartment to Malloy and back to the Star. But that's the way it looked geographically as well as symbolically. Another 20 minutes wouldn't matter much, I thought. So I walked the couple of blocks it took me to get back to Bobby's bar and grill. Hi, Randy. You're not making the rounds of the bars, are you? No, no. Uh, make it a double bourbon. Water. Double bourbon? Yeah, double. Not much trade tonight. Ah, oh, later they come. Uh, Randy, why is it hitting you so hard? You scratch a little of the veneer off, and what do you find? A sentimental slob. What's bad about that? Well, then you find that you can't do things that have got to be done. Like what? What needs being done tonight? Like telling a woman that her young son is dead and that I had a lot to do with it. You're kidding. I'm not. How do you go about a job like that? Well, how did it happen? Does it matter? No. You think whiskey will help? Close the place up, Bob, and come with me. You don't have to say anything. Just stand there with me. No, 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 no. It's a one-man job, huh? As far as I'm concerned. Well, maybe you're right. I'll see you later. Yeah, I'll see you later. I climbed up the creaky old stairs. It was no better than a tenement house. Only one thing distinguished it from a slum, and that was a cool, clean smell. The walls were torn, and the woodwork was scarred and marred, but it was clean. I know it's crazy, but I got a lot of courage out of that feeling of cleanliness. 
I stood in front of apartment nine, listening. Then I knocked on the door. It's me, Randy Stone. Mr. Stone, how welcome you are. Come in. Thank you. I'll close the door to the children's room. They have only fallen asleep, and if they hear us, they'll be sure you're somewhere. She walked away to close the door, and I wondered how I'd ever come to forget Mrs. Malloy. Her face was overflowing with a deep spiritual beauty that lighted up the whole room. She came back and sat down near me. I'm so happy you haven't forgotten me, Mr. Stone. I was afraid you might have. Then when I was able to make a small payment on that loan, I thought I would ask you to come to see us. God will never let me forget what you did for us that night, Mr. Stone. Mrs. Malloy, I... uh... I don't mean to embarrass you, really, I don't. But I knew if you possibly could, you would share some part of Christmas with us. I knew that the old and shabby furniture would make no difference to you. This humble home. But Christmas began in a humble home. Yes, that's what I told Jerry. Mrs. Malloy, uh, about Jerry, I don't know how to say it. Say what? What is it, Mr. Stone? Well, about Jerry not being home. I, I, I don't understand. The bedroom door opened and a boy walked out. I caught my breath and held it. It was Jerry. Jerry! Hello, Mr. Stone. Jerry Malloy, go back to bed this minute. Oh, no, please, let him stay. Jerry, I heard that you were hurt. Oh, that. I was just shook up a little. The man drove me oh, home. Jerry, you didn't tell me about that. It was nothing. Jerry, when you knocked on my door... I told door... Ma all about it. About the way you made me come into your room and have some fruit and candy. And how glad you were when you read that letter. That's right. And he told me how you said you would get down to our house tomorrow night if it was the last thing you ever did. That's what you said, wasn't it, Mr. Stone? Uh, I, uh... I tell you, Mr. Stone, this boy of mine is uncanny. Do you know what he told me? He said he shouldn't be surprised if you came down to visit us tonight. Did you say that, son? Didn't you, son? Yes. Tell him your exact words, Jerry. Go on. Mr. Stone is no stranger. Say it, Jerry. I said I wouldn't be surprised if he even comes to see us tonight. He needs us that bad for Christmas. In those three little rooms on the edge of the city's slums, I learned that human beings can find happiness. And don't listen to what your banker tells you. It's a thing of the spirit, not of the pocket. In that shabby little apartment with a cracked linoleum and a threadbare sofa, I learned the magic of the words. Merry Christmas. Copy, boy. Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis, edited by Larry Marcus. Tonight's story was written by Warren Lewis and Lou Russoff, with music by Robert Armbruster. Featured in tonight's cast were Kate McKenna, Sammy Ogg, Ralph Moody, Jan Arvan, Bill Conrad, and Gail Bonney. Don Rickles speaking. Our star, Frank Lovejoy, and all of us on Nightbeat wish you a very Merry Christmas. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Saturday morning, hear Mind Your Manners, and later the Somerset Mom Radio Theater starring Peggy Ann Garner. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That's it for Case Closed this week. You can find more from Johnny Dollar, Nightbeat, past episodes of Case Closed, all the other podcasts, thousands of other old-time radio episodes, our shoutcast stream, and anything else we might have going on at relicradio.com like to help support this and all of that visit donate.relicradio.com or click on the donate button your support is how it all keeps coming to you every week thank you as always to those who have helped out thanks for joining me today be back next wednesday with another episode of case closed